This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast. Dan, one of your hosts here. No Brandon, no Nick. But that's because we're doing an Aston Villa match preview ahead of this weekend's fixture. Chelsea looking to right the ship and notch a win to get three points in the Premier League. And I'm going to be breaking down what we might expect from our opposition what are the problems that Pochettino is going to be looking to address with maybe some lineup changes or shifts and to do that and make sure we've got a good idea about what the tactical game plan should be for Chelsea and what we might want to keep an eye out for when it comes to the villains. It's Sam CFC central fresh off a European tour coming back on to give us a little bit of knowledge and a lot of education. Welcome back, Sam. Thank you so much, Dan. It's been, I think a late preseason for me. So I've, I've just spent 15 days wandering um, four countries. It's been it's been lovely. It's been very invigorating to to actually walk twenty kilometers a day. So I've come back, um, it, you know, just absolutely full of sun, which I wasn't expecting in Europe, and uh, with a lot more ideas and and a lot more vigor. So hopefully enough energy to handle however the season is going to turn out in the next couple of weeks. Well, we're glad you got that conditioning regimen put put to put into effect, got those steps in the pedometer taken care of as well. We're going to get into a bunch of maybe the fitness that Villa might have or may not have after a late match in the Conference League where they did see a little bit of loss uh, to round out their record, their third of the season across all competitions. Before that, we just want to say thanks everybody supports the podcast. You can do that for free with five star views on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also subscribe to our channel on YouTube and hit the bell notify uh, bell button to get notified of when we drop a new episode. Love to hit 30,000 subscribers there. And if you go to patreon.com forward slash Linda Blue Pod, you can support the podcast with a little bit of coin or change and also join our wonderful Discord community. But again, you don't have to do that. It'd just be an option for you. And uh, don't forget, we did drop a Matt Law episode this week, and we also have updated Blue Royalty content coming out as the march to the WSL season beginning on October 1st is a very, very close. But Sam, you watched it. You had a chance to digest the full match, the Europa Conference League match between Liga and Aston Villa. Aston Villa losing 3-2. to two. It's their first loss in Europe this season. They were looking to make it uh, three in a row after they beat Hiberian 5-0 and 3-0 across their first two matches in the playoff round. What were some of your thoughts and observations? Are we feeling better about Chelsea's chances? Are we feeling worse about Chelsea's chances or somewhere in between? Yeah, I tend to be um, on the fence, unfortunately. Uh, So when I did see the game, a lot of encouraging signs, I would say, for us. So they they basically made about five changes from what would be their strongest starting lineup. They benched Ollie Watkins, Musa Diaby, Pau Torres, Douglas Luiz, and Matty Cash. And four of them came on at the hour mark because uh, the game was going really, really poorly for them. They just didn't look at the races at all. I mean, Legia were, were running them, you know, aground everywhere. So it just, Emery was, I think, forced into those changes with ideally uh, like you mentioned would have wanted all four of them five of them to be on the bench recover a bit of energy not have to exert before the short turnaround but uh, a 3-2 win for Legia also uh, could have had four or five it just looks like after Tyrone Ming's injury they they lack communication they lack a little bit of stability Uh, Ming's has had his own moments in terms of you know farcical errors but 
it just looked like they've lost somebody who was organizing the backline. There were multiple moments where Konza didn't know what was happening. The other three, it, it was just an island of defenders instead of one unit. So I think it, it just looks in disarray. It's pretty much what I've seen in other games where they've been spanked. The same thing looks um, the case against Liverpool where they were, I think, beaten 3-0. So uh, it does look like at the back is where the problems are, are mounting, I would say, with the game. Uh, the Premier League, I think now they've conceded two goals every single game that they've played. So in five matches, they've conceded 10, conceded three more today. So I think defense, a weak defense is going to be something that we would want to exploit. But unfortunately, it's something that we are not very good at doing. And um, yeah, I think I think those were the things that just sprung out to me when I was watching the game. It's just very poor defensive organization. They also look very... Uh, vulnerable on transition, the four four two that they play out of possession very narrow. So the wing backs that Legia had, they were exploiting it with crosses. The width was there on offer, and uh, I think that's probably one way that we could look to exploit them. So that happens, and and also apparently there could be an injury for a key midfield signing in in uh, Bubakar Kamara. So if he does not play, then Yuri Tielemans uh, might end up playing with Douglas Luiz and that pivot looks very um, imbalanced to me. So it could play in our favor against a midfield build that that basically uh, we could look to dominate. So I think in short, those are the observations that happened uh, throughout the game. You know, as you were watching the game and maybe just the way that the the stats lined up for this individual performance. So, I mean, the there were three goals for Liga and two for Villa and the XG was one seven um, in favor of the winners and one six in favor of the losers. Any thoughts on just maybe their goal buildup and what you saw in terms of how Villa, maybe what led to the concessions and, and what makes you excited about what Chelsea could exploit. And in the same token, how they built up those goals and what might make Chelsea supporters nervous based upon the goals or the type of goals we've been conceding this season. Yeah, I'd probably like to start at the beginning, I think, in terms of how the season's gone for them. So essentially, if you look at their league form, they played five, they won three, um, lost two. Their home record is perfect. They've won both their games and away record is basically won one and lost two. They've scored 11, conceded 10. And uh, they have four, five top scorers in the league with two goals each. So the Matty Cash, Diaby, John Duran. Bailey and Douglas Luiz all have two goals. And the only person who's crossed two goals for us is um, Raheem Sterling. So that's a bit of a concern. These guys know how to score and they're creating a lot of expected goals, like you mentioned. So they are they are basically creating high quality chances for their forwards. And they've essentially tinkered with their formation a bit as well. Emery likes to play a 4-2-3-1, but he's also played a 3-4-2-1. He's also played a 3-5-2. So... Um, those things have, have sort of like fluctuated throughout the season, I would say, in terms of how he's trying to set up his side. But what really, I think, was the starting point was the signings that they've made. Essentially, the two guys that they bought in would probably been have been on the radar of top clubs across Europe. So they got Musa Diaby, who was on the radar for Arsenal, on the radar for Manchester United. Paul Torres was once linked with Manchester City, a couple of other big clubs. If you remember, one of the first podcasts I did for London is Blue was basically discussing Pau Torres among the six centre-backs oh, yeah. that we were assigned. So he was there as well. He's not had a very, um, I would say, comfortable start to life at, at um, Aston Villa. But those two signings basically were, were made to bolster what was a promising team. 
And uh, the stylistics, I, I think from last season, the stylistics have just basically remained the same. He likes a 3-2-5 in attack. Out of uh, possession, they had a 4-4-2, pretty compact, heavy, very narrow, so they tried to prevent central access. And uh, what struck out for me is that the wingbacks or the or the wingers, uh, sorry, the, the fullbacks that, that Aston Villa have in Matty Cash and Luca Dini, both have contributed significantly going forward. So Matty Cash, like I said, is one of the top scorers with two goals. I think he also had two in Europe uh, against Hibernian uh, in the playoff rounds uh, that you mentioned before. And he's been he's been very, very active in terms of forward areas, consistently making runs. And an interesting dynamic with Musa Diaby is that when he's stretching wide, then Diaby sort of shifts in. And when Diaby goes out wide, then Cash tries to underlap and, and tries to attack the box for crosses. So the right-hand side, I would say, is something that we need to be careful about. There's a lot of pace there. There's a lot of movement there from Matty Cash. So on the, on the right-hand side of Villa's um, attack is something that we will have to be very careful about. And then on the left-hand side, Luca Dean defensively, I would say poor. But he scored again tonight, and uh, he's the leading shot creator with 12 shots. So he's also somebody who, you know, is going to be very forward-oriented. Um, in the 3-2-5 that they play, the two widest players are usually both their fullbacks. So uh, the wide options are going to be very threatening. They're going to consistently put deliveries into the box. We know Ollie Watkins is very good. We also know that the 19-year-old forward that, that they've started playing, uh, John Duran, who actually started today, looks very, very good. He's got an extremely good jump. He also had a goal today, I think. So um, one to be careful about. So uh, in, in essence, I think they've done some things right. They, they look a more threatening side in attack, but they look slightly catastrophic in defense. You know, like I mentioned, Ming's injury was... The number one issue, I think Pau Torres is new to the side, so he's still figuring out what is happening. And um, when I was watching the Liverpool game back in terms of how they played against them, uh, one tactic that Liverpool used were consistently trying to put the ball in behind Luca Dean on the right-hand side for Mohamed Salah or David Nunez to run onto, and it worked. It happened at least five or six times where Trent Alexander-Arnold or one of the centre-backs just kept hitting that space, you know, over and over again preventing Villa's last time from pushing up, from trying to press, and they got a lot of joy running in behind. So I think if we have to look at uh, an effective tactic, it would be try to exploit the space between the left centre-back and Luca Dean, because he's not very good defensively. And uh, the right-hand side, we have Raheem Sterling, who has arguably been one of our better players. So I think that's something that can be exploited. And in midfield, I would say Douglas Luiz, looks like a little bit of a liability. He he looks like he's lost a little bit of pace, a little bit of acceleration. So when he tries to press, when he's lost the ball, susceptible to be playing, uh, to be played through. So when you're trying to go through the middle, look for Douglas Luiz, press him, make sure that you're exploiting him 1v1 when you've got runners from midfield. Um, Kaiseru hasn't been pictured training. So if Leslie Wachuku plays, I think that would be something that he needs to keep in mind. You know, if he... If he comes up against Douglas Luiz, then um, might as well take a risk and try to dribble past him a couple of times. So a lot of issues, I would say, in in midfield and and defense, but attack looks very, very good. It'll be interesting to considering, you know, Torres from Villarreal, also, you know, or Nico Jackson from Villarreal. We're going to see, you know, who who knows enough about the 
other's game to see who they can, who's going to be able to put the other off in terms of the performance. We know Nico has struggled a little bit over the past few matches. He's been just a little inconsistent with his uh, shot selection, maybe unlucky at times, but in the Premier League, it's about defining your own luck and make your own opportunities. And this may be an opportunity or matchup, particularly where both are still acclimatizing to the Premier League that they might be able to find a way to exploit one another. And you would hope that Jackson on our end is able to do the one, be the one exploiting Torres as he looks to take on the defense of Aston Villa this weekend. Yeah, I think there are a lot of avenues for us to to look at in terms of opening the floodgates. I mean, if a, if a side is conceding two goals per game, then at least like, you know, on paper, it just looks like a good opportunity to... Um, let the floodgates open. I would say, I would be bold enough to say, you know, I think the goals are coming. It's just a matter of keeping our heads a little bit, trying not to be a little hasty, trying not to to fluff our lines, which we've done consistently and which is completely understandable that we are still young. We are still uh, immature at this level. Uh, if you put together the amount of Premier League seasons we have, I think it would be a drastic reduction on the last squad that we had, uh, a complete squad last year. So, I think a little bit of patience uh, is paramount. And um, like you mentioned, if if we can exploit those 1v1s, which today, um, even with a slightly second-rate side that they put out, the 1v1s, the individual duels that they were losing, it, it just looked like they're very, very creaky. And then hopefully if we win our first couple of ones, there's enough confidence to be taken uh, to exploit them all match long. Well, we'll try to go from creaks to collapse or calamity in their back line as much as we possibly can, or at least will on our blues to do so. But we're going to take our very first ad break, and then when we come back, we'll be talking about, well, what is Pochettino, and what are the Chelsea team, what is the Chelsea team going to try to do to get at this Aston Villa side? So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. There is no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. One of the things I love about Indeed is that they make hiring all in one place. It's easy because, well, candidates you invite are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in the search. When you get one step closer to the hire by immediately matching you with a quality candidate, it makes it go faster. And when you're looking to hire, the quicker you get the right person in the role the better. So start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash blue wire sports. That offer is good for a limited time. So claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com forward slash blue wire sports. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com forward slash blue wire sports terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need indeed. All right, Sam, so beyond Pochettino trying to put the ball in the net himself, which just isn't allowed with the laws of the game, there's a lot of question about what the laws are or maybe how they get enforced in the moment. But what are some of the things that over the past couple matches, since we haven't had necessarily a chance to talk about it with our audience, you and I together, that you're wondering or looking for Pochettino to solve and think things that you think are addressable and we might actually see some movement on in this particular match, especially as you set the foundation a moment ago that you do think the goals are coming. So I might, I might cause a little bit of a stir here, but I do it. 
I, <laughs> but I do believe he will start with Chilwell at left back, uh, so at left wing. Uh, I, I think that's going to be the game plan. Um, I did mention that Matty Cash seems to be a primary outlet. Um, when I'm looking at the way that they want to attack when they're in settled possession, one of the first things that they do with Pau Torres or, or Douglas Luiz is they try to get the ball to the left-hand side and then they switch it right to Cash. And then you've got Diaby who basically tries to provide a little bit of distraction, a little bit of chaos. And then you essentially have 2v1 against whoever your fullback is. Now, if that happens against Levi Colville, then we have issues because um, Diaby is a, a very, very good talent. He's extremely quick. Colville is, you know, no pushover. We all know that. But you don't want a 2v1 uh, against your left centre-back, left back, whichever role you want to call it. So I think Poch might look at that and say there is a good chance that, you know, you go with with a little bit of additional security in your 4-4-2 and, and make sure that you've got a 2v2 um, on our left side, on their right side. So I think that is a reason that he might go with that. Plus, um, of all Villa's backline, I would say Matty Cash is the poorest in the air. And um, one thing that Chilwell is very good at is getting to the far post um, and then trying to sort of attack um, crosses with his headers. We saw that uh, in his first season, he did that very, very well. And uh, he did that a couple of times against Vladimir Sufal at the at the West Ham game as well. So I think if you if you can get him some kind of crosses from the right hand side, especially Malo Gusto, who's who's a very you know cross orientated uh, fullback, if you can get him on the far post against Matty Cash, I think there is a chance that we can nick something at the back post. So are those factors considered extra defensive security? Uh, making sure Matty Cash is something to think about. I think he might be tempted to go with. Um, with Chilwell at left wing. You know, Mudrik has his own benefits. He, he did, I would say, pretty well for uh, the starting spell. But uh, overall, tactically, I would say it makes sense to have Chilwell at left wing. So I think it might happen. Uh, I apologize, it's not my decision. But I think that, you know, taking everything into consideration, that would be the decision that Poch goes with. Is it also the way that he combines with Kowell maybe a little bit better than the way that Mudrik and Kowell's partnership has not necessarily taken hold yet. And again, caveat that by saying they have not played together as much. And so it would make sense that they don't have as cohesive as, as a partnership, but in how Chilwell makes himself available for the pass, how he looks to kind of get forward, how he looks to be maybe a little bit more entwined with others on the pitch, that that could be some of the reasons why we might see a more pragmatic approach from Pochettino as we head into this match war where Chilwell might make more sense, even though you do lose out maybe on some of the flair or some of the excitement of what Mudra could bring if he and Nico can finally get the partnership cooking the same way that they were seemingly starting to develop in the preseason months. Yeah, absolutely. I think you need the nail on the head in terms of what we've seen Colville do with, say, Ben Chilwell and what we've seen him do with uh, Mikhailo Mudrik, I think there are stark differences, which is completely fine considering they interpret that position, that role differently. They're also two completely different profiles of players. One's a fullback uh, slash wingback and the other's uh, a conventional left winger slash left midfielder. So um, a fullback obviously has to have great off-the-ball intelligence, which I would say Chilwell has in spades. You know, he's he's shown that he's able to attack space at the right time. And then all those beautiful balls we've seen over the top 
uh, of Villa's backline, I think, um, would give us encouragement to to actually exploit that with Chilwell. It happened a couple of times in today's game as well, where Cash was caught up a little bit of the you know in in advanced areas because he has that attacking role, and uh, like yeah, we're able to get people in into that blank spot and then get him up against a centre back. So. If we can do that with Chilwell, I think there is a good opportunity for us to to exploit that well. There are some burgeoning connections, like you mentioned, between Nico Jackson and, and Mikhailo Mudrik. But if we manage to get, like, it's a huge if, but if we manage to get a goal, a couple of goals, hopefully in, in like 60 minutes, then it would be, you know, fantastic to have somebody like Mudrik come on and exploit a little bit more space. Because as far as I know, um, Villa don't go to a back five. They haven't done it in the games that I've seen. They tend to be in a 4-4-2. They tend to trust uh, the fact that they can get the ball back to front very quickly to Oli Watkins and Musa Diaby. So if if they don't go back to a back five, then I, I think Mudrik will have a little extra space to work with if we have uh, uh, you know a couple of goals in our hands. So I think that also works off well, getting Mudrik after 60 and then starting off with a little bit of Additional security, doing the right things, creating a little bit more space for the players. Uh, in the grander scheme of things, I think that's the smarter way to go. But obviously, a lot of people would not agree. Well, it's uh, up for us to have the conversation about what could happen and for Pochettino to make the situation permanent and be the sole decider of what will happen in terms of the lineup and the strategy for how Chelsea will take, you know, you know take on Villa and look to get a, a notch a win here. You know, I think some of the other thoughts are maybe it, it seems like the midfield might be another area for Chelsea to exploit. I mean, I think there's been commentary from Villa supporters that they don't necessarily love their, current midfield pairing it just doesn't seem to be coming off whereas you know if if Caicedo is deemed to be healthy we're recording this on Thursday and I don't think he's been seen in any photos so maybe that is not necessarily the case the knock to the knee might be worse than unfortunately we uh we we hoped um but Gallagher Enzo and and others kind of putting together some type of midfield that can stand up to and press against a midfield that, that Villa has that seemed maybe just a little weaker. Is that something that you're kind of also eyeing as an area where, where Pochettino might be able to tilt the game in Chelsea's favor? 100%. I think if, for example, Bubaka Kamara is not fit, then I think if you see Tielemans and and Douglas Luiz playing there, I think it's it's definitely there to be exploited. Um there isn't as much penetration um, in that pivot. I would say Luis has a good passing range, very, very good. But Tielemans tends to, you know, I think Emery also doesn't trust the legs that he has. He hasn't been, I would say, industrious enough to fit in the Villa side. I, I think he's just by virtue of that. He's also complained, I think, in an interview or somewhere that he's not been trusted enough by Emery. Uh, so I think having your fourth choice central midfielder, third choice, fourth choice central midfielder play in a pivot with a midfielder who's also not known for his agility and, and his defensive tracking, there could be major, major issues on transition. We saw a lot of that in the game today as well. They just looked like they were cleaved apart on will. So it's been a consistent theme. And especially if you can if you can emulate the kind of box midfields or diamonds that we did in preseason, we haven't been able to do that because of obviously injuries and multiple reasons. But if you can overload that center 
if you can give those two guys an extreme amount of problems, then I think, you know, you win the central battle as well. And then if you can shift the ball to the right-hand side and get Raheem Sterling one-on-one with, with Luca Dean, then, then you have two avenues to exploit them. So it, it does look like they are there for the taking. I would say the attack is extremely potent, which again, I would say advocates for three centre-backs instead of two. A lot of people have been saying drop Thiago Silva or drop Dizazi and go two centre-backs and put Chelwell at left-back. But I would say in a game where they go 4-4-2 and you've got, say, Oli Watkins and Musa Diaby, two pretty potent attackers up front, it, it just makes sense to go with three centre-backs. So it just lines up very well for me, tactically. If you go 3-2-5 or 3-2-1-4 like we play, You've got superiority at the back. You've got a little bit of chance to to overload the center with your three central midfielders. And then you've got, um, you know, five players up front or four, four players up front against their back four. So hopefully there will be enough quality there in, in 1v1 situations or 3v3 situations to exploit them. Any other thoughts about, you know, I think that there are options presenting themselves. We talked about Nico Jackson most likely slots in and is a part of the attack in addition to Raheem Sterling. But do you see any thought maybe about Cole Palmer or you know others potentially getting a start where we haven't seen them in this moment where Poch does want to experiment a little, but also is looking maybe to be again that more that pragmatist or that realist about what is the best eleven he could put together with the laundry list of injuries that Chelsea have and are working through at the moment. Mm, interesting. I mean, I would say that Palmer probably is seen as the current right wing option, although there are sort of rumors about him, you know, seeing being seen as the CAM. I don't know whether that role sort of suits him. I haven't seen enough senior minutes to to suggest or, or to be able to accurately say that, you know, he could play there, can't play there. But I would say that on in in just by the by the virtue of the opportunity that is there one v one against Dean and and just the quality Sterling has and has been showing. I think you would start with with Raheem Sterling on the right hand side. If you do want to switch it up, then I guess you would ha- have to drop Gallagher. But um, I I think Gallagher's done well, everything well in terms of off the ball stuff, in terms of movement, in terms of getting to the box. He should have finished his chance. He should have done better on a couple of occasions. But other than those things, I think he's done very well. So I think it's it's just fine margins. Like I said, I think Pochettino has to give it a right thought, saying that would I go for additional security in Chilwell or, or do I just go with Mudrik and then make sure that if he's got cash to go up against and then considering Matty Cash will be bombing forward a lot, is there an opportunity for us to get Mudrik free on the left-hand side? And is Palmer a better bet than Gallagher uh, in the center? Or is is he better on the right-hand side? So I think those little things Poch will have to to sort of like take into consideration seeing the 1v1s there. But based on my understanding, my humble understanding, it would be Raheem Sterling on the right, um, Chilwell on the left. I think that probably gives us the best chance of shutting out their strengths, uh, keeping it level, and then trying to make a goal from somewhere. All right, well, we're going to get into some final thoughts on the match ahead, maybe a few predictions or just kind of a couple of questions, some I don't know, guesses that we want to put into the universe as we think about what might happen in this next match. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. Are you missing out on your favorite show because it's not available in your region? 
trying to keep your private time private? Well, let me introduce NordVPN. If you're bored of US streaming services, why not take it for a spin in the UK? Using NordVPN and at the click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you. With 5,000 plus server options, no show is out of your reach. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue, you know, like the name of the podcast, to get a huge discount off of your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. Threat protection, they've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there is literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll send you a refund, and you can pretend the entire situation never happened, just like Chelsea's 2022-2023 season. Check out my link at nordvpn.com forward slash londonisblue to get your subscription started today. nordvpn.com forward slash londonisblue. So Sam, as we're kind of getting into, I think we've kind of built the lineup here through the conversation, but just to maybe structure it for uh, listeners or viewers who are trying to piece it together, what is the 11 that you're anticipating in totality when it comes to what we expect to see on uh, in the weekend? I think it would be pretty similar to the last one. I, I don't think there would be any changes. Like you said, Caicedo's ankle, is it? The ankle injury might uh, not knee. been seen. Knee? Knee injury? Okay. I mean, um, yeah, he's not been seen in training. So I I highly doubt that he's fit enough to make the game. So I'm guessing Le- Leslie Gochukpo starts again as, as the deepest central midfielder. And that sort of aligns itself well because I think Enzo likes the advanced role a little bit. And then you've got Gallagher also playing as the box-to-box shuttler. So you've got two guys who like going up and down. Um, but I think the rest of the side remains the same. I think the 11 would be pretty good. Like I mentioned, um, getting three center backs again against those two guys up front is, I think, a, a good option to have. And um, I think he's he's got his side laid out for him. He doesn't have to tinker unless he thinks he wants to be a little adventurous. Yeah, I mean, it does feel like it's a the lineup picks itself type of moment, given what we're learning about Pochettino, regardless of what, people's preferences are and i think everybody has a opportunity or right to have a preference for which player you'd like to see it it does feel like there's a almost a level of risk mitigation in the 11 that like hey you know yes we could put mudrick in here but we end up going with Chilwell because he offers uh more both ways there's uh ugo Chaku coming in maybe over palmer to try to drive kind of a um you know, putting maybe Gallagher deeper and letting Palmer be involved in the attack. And so it feels like we're going to get this similar lineup for a period of time as we wait for Caicedo to get healthy, for Lavia to get healthy, for Nkunku to come back. And I think that, to me, it at least feels like Poch is trying to get us down the road far enough where 
the team can gel because some of these players didn't even play together in, in preseason minutes to find an opportunity to get some cohesion that can start to slowly but surely really evolve into a side that is capable of not just doing the defensive work, but also doing the offensive work and converting those chances into goals because we are getting the shots. We are actually getting shots on target. We are just not turning the shots on target into goals. Yeah, I think Pochettino is famously um, somebody who believes that there is a universal energy. He's very well attuned to the fact that, you know, universe sends you signs. You know, you have to read them. You have to interpret them well. Uh, usually, you would, like, for example, against West Ham, I can understand that he wants to play three centre-backs. But when I was looking through the metrics today, for example, I was I was looking at Villa's um, aerial prowess, and there are only three guys. So you've got Ezri Konsa, who is extremely good in the air with 83% uh, win percentage. Then you've got Luca Dean, who's, I think, at 72. And then Pau Torres at 66. And everybody else is 50 or below. So there is a chance that, you know, in set pieces, they've already conceded three goals from, from set pieces. So two from corners and one from an indirect free kick. So I think it's all pointing towards play three centre-backs. You know, you've got you've got the chance to sort of play it for multiple reasons. So why would you deviate from that? So I do understand your point of saying that, you know, there is perhaps a chance of, you know, things are going our way. Maybe you just have to take off another layer of the safety net heat. To his credit, he said, okay, I'm going to bench Chilwell and then I'm going to put Mudrik on and see how it goes. But maybe I think this game, he's got too many signs pointing towards the fact that he should play a certain way. And I think he might go for that option. And uh, hopefully, hopefully it'll it'll work out for us. Like you said, a lot of moving pieces, a lot of things that he might have to explain post-game. But I think tactically, it just makes a lot of sense. Even with three centre-backs, we've got, like you said, great metrics. We're just looking good on XG. Uh, We're looking good on the number of shots taken. I think accuracy-wise, we're pretty low. Um, 28%, 29%. So that's like second last to 18th, I think, which is pretty low. But everything else, we're we're hitting the numbers. We're just not converting them. And and hopefully, with the same setup, we'll be able to do that against Villa and, and reap the rewards. So if you were to pick a player who has not scored for Chelsea this season... Who would be the most likely individual to net a goal in the game against Villa? Well, that's, that's an interesting question because I thought you would say which player would be the likeliest. I would have said Sterling. That would have been in probably an easy guess for me. But if it's somebody who hasn't scored, I would say Levi Colwell. I think there is a chance Ooh. that he gets into the act. I think he, I think he gets into the act. He's missed a couple of headers he should have put away at the far post. And I think that's where... Um, Willer's weaknesses are at, at the far post marking. It just looks all wrong on set pieces. So if you can get back at the far post and then get a couple of a good leap in the air and, and try to direct headers there, I think, you know, he he can get his, his first goal for Chelsea. So I think that happens. Yeah, my you talked about it earlier, so I don't think it will come as a surprise. But I do think if he starts, I could see this being the game where Ben Chilwell gets an opportunity and can find the back of the net. You know, if you talk about the two people we just mentioned, Levi Colwell uh, through the Premier League this season, uh, 0.8 XG. So very close to saying that he should have had at least one. Um, And then Ben Chilwell is at a 0.7. So uh, very close to also being able to argue and say that he should have had at least one as well. So I do think those are two, two good shouts. I mean, Gallagher might be another, you know, he's getting a little further forward, getting into the box. 
any one of those three, look, we're just going to, we'll be happy for any goal that puts us in a winning position for Chelsea. I was just trying to say, you know, it's, it's so hilarious that both of us went for defenders when we were talking about who's going to score. I think that just tells us the story of, of like where we are. We just want goals from anywhere. So hopefully they'll come from the back, from the front, everywhere and in the middle. So um, yeah, I think I think it's just at this point, you know, it doesn't matter if there are like four own goals, but just get us over the line, get some points on the board and and get past this hump. I think when that happens, a little bit of confidence comes through. Hopefully we'll be, you know, in the same state that we were under Lampard when he, when he was first there. And these bunch of youngsters just, you know, shows off and then tries to take that in their stride and says, okay, let's let's show you what we have. Another random question. So as we talk about exploiting the back line of Aston Villa, exploiting some of the individual readiness for the Premier League, could or do you see a possibility where Nico Jackson could get Pau Torres to commit a penalty-related foul and allow that to potentially be a goal for another member of the Chelsea side? I would say the the other centre-backs are better bet. I think Ezri Konsa is somebody that mm. um, could, could make that mistake. He's already made one horrendous error. Um, I think it was against Liverpool. Uh, terrible, terrible error. And, and he has looked shaky. Torres, I think, has enough quality on, on the ball, um, off it in terms of reading the game, in terms of making those actions. Konsa just looks lost without me. So um, I would say if there is a chance, then, then Jackson goes up against Konza, gives him a little bit of a headache and, and gets away with it. So, so yeah, what about you? I think, do you think there's a chance that Nico, you know, turns his luck around and gets a couple of goals on the board? Ooh, I feel like he had, I feel like this has to happen. It's more of like a volume situation, right? Like he's got a XG of three, three, he's getting forward. He's getting an opportunity. You feel like he's going to get at least a couple of shots and an opportunity to, to try. So I don't know. I feel like he's going to have to go for volume for a little bit before he necessarily gets the the high number of kind of converted shots that uh, we're, we're looking for when it comes to, you know, shot creation, goal creation. I mean, he, he does have, what was it? He had 47 um, total shot creating actions in all of uh, La Liga last season on 17 and a half 90s at almost five full 90s in the Premier League this season. He has 17, so he's gone up from 2.65 per 90 to 3.46 per 90. So he's also seeing the right progress in a tougher league of actually doing more from an attacking perspective, even without Nkunku, who we talked about being the linchpin. Like, that to me shows that the it's there. Like, it is within our grasp. It's just more of, like, taking making the actual act of grabbing it is, is been the the challenge. Couldn't have put it better, to be honest. I think there has been a lot of doom and gloom on the timeline. I mean, color me surprised, but I, I just do believe that, you know, like you said, the fundamentals are there. I would be far worried if, for example, I was a Man United fan where the team looks terrible on the numbers, the performances aren't there. And it, it's something very similar to what was happening when the ship was going down under Graham Porter. It wasn't that we weren't scoring goals on our XG. We were somewhere like, you know, on 12th and then, then in the scoring charts, we were 14. So it just wasn't that that we were creating chances and not scoring. We weren't creating at all. So at this point in time, we are creating. It's just that the quality is lacking a little bit. We don't have an Erling Haaland. We don't have 
you know, Julian Alvarez. We don't have uh, those quality or that kind of capability up front. But like you said, I think if you've got those guys who are pushing performances from last season, if they're pushing the envelope a little bit and saying, all right, you know, I'm going to improve myself little by little. If this performance goes up by 10% for every young player, the metrics become better, 100%. So I think that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, and, and if even one of those players turns out uh, to be an actual wonder kid, I think it just pushes the team to a to a very, very good level. So I'm forever the optimist. I think all of us at London is blue are. So I think this could be the game where it turns around. So uh, I'm going to put my head on the block and say, I think, I think we go and do something this time. Oh, you have me feeling the exact same way. And hopefully after listening or watching this episode, you're feeling the exact way too. particularly as Chelsea look to shake off a little bit of the somber vibes around the club at the moment and bring back some happy and wonderful days with a win. Hopefully, fingers crossed, this weekend. So thank you so much for joining me, Sam. Thank you so much for listening or watching to this episode of London's Blue Podcast. Again, you can get involved at patreon.com forward slash London Blue Pod. You can sign up to receive the wonderful newsletters that Sam puts together. You can leave five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And that's about it. But otherwise, until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Hopefully celebrate a Chelsea win and keep the blue flag flying high. 